Welcome to the KPMG Tax Now podcast. In this podcast, we explore some of the more complex matters across tax, economics, regulation, and compliance. Each month, we meet with KPMG's foremost experts and other special guests to unpack key issues faced by taxpayers around the globe. Good afternoon, and welcome to KPMG's podcast on taxation and the digitalization of the economy. My name's Andy Hutt from KPMG's Economics and Tax Centre, and I'm joined today by Grant Wardell-Johnson, who is the lead tax partner in the Economics and Tax Centre. Thanks for joining me, Grant. Thank you, Andy. Today, we're going to recap on the OECD's uh, negotiations uh, with the 130-odd members of the Inclusive Framework on the design of its two-pillar approach to dealing with the increasing digitalization of the global economy and how to reform international taxation rules so that uh, countries can receive what they regard as their fair share. Hanging over this in the background, of course, is the prospect of uh, countries taking unilateral action if they don't get what they want through the uh, through the multinational uh, negotiations. So it is very important that we um, achieve progress towards uh, success in some form uh, over the coming months. Just to recap, pillar one of the two pillar approach is really around the reform of taxing rights uh, and seeks to reallocate some level of multinational enterprises profits between headquarters countries and market countries. Pillar two uh, seeks to uh, invoke a global minimum tax rate that all multinationals uh, would pay uh, as a minimum and therefore reduce the risk of uh, entities setting up uh, in tax havens uh, to reduce their overall tax burden. Against that background, it's probably uh, time to have a look at some of the uh, fundamentals that are really um, underpinning this global uh, debate and negotiation uh, and look at some of the things that have got to be resolved uh, in order for us to make progress. Grant, one of the things that's uh, under a lot of discussion is the interaction between the the Pillar 1 proposals and the uh, the so-called arm's length principle, which has been the, uh, the basis for taxation of uh, multinationals for many years now. Uh, do you think Pillar 1 and the arm's length principle can, can coexist in a complementary way to one another? Uh, or does Pillar 1 essentially undermine uh, the way that the arm's length principle has worked up to now? Thanks, Andy. In some sense, the answer is both. So the problem that's been identified in recent years is that a multinational can have a residual profit um, even though it's operating at arm's length throughout its uh, all its subsidiaries. And that's based on synergies within the multinational enterprise. Now, that was actually realised as early as 1933 in the Carroll Commission, but it was assumed that that residual profit would be in the top company. And what happened probably from the 80s or so is that some companies were able to place that residual profit in lower taxed jurisdictions. So that's one of the fundamental problems that Pillar 1 is trying to address. Now, how will they do that? What they won't do is actually work out um, all the arm's length transactions 
and then work out a calculated residual profit from that. They've got to use a shorthand. So the shorthand might be to work out um, the globe, you know, the profit um, throughout the consolidated group, work out a percentage level above which um, a residual profit amount is, is calculated. So whatever that percent, an excess above that gives you a residual profit. And then to actually allocate a portion of that profit to market jurisdictions and provide a mechanism to make sure that there's no double taxation. So in that sense, it's a completely different mechanism from an arm's length principle-based mechanism. Um, it's practicable um, and it's, it's so in some sense, it both supports and undermines the arm's length principle. Interesting. Well, it's going to be it's going to be a tough one to resolve, but we um you know we really support the OECD and its work in in trying to get there. One of the other big discussion points has been the scope of companies that will be subject to this um, taxing rights reallocation under under Pillar One, and the whole reason we're we're having this conversation is because the business environment is fast moving, and digitalization is changing the nature of business very quickly. Um, is it realistic that we can we can set up these categorizations of who's in and who's out and that those will be fit for purpose even in 10 years time? So what you're likely to get is um, sort of the in scope as being businesses that have automated digital services and consumer facing businesses. And within those definitions, you're going to have a positive list and a negative list. And there'll be some that fit within the middle that where principles will actually have to apply. The thing is that that positive list and negative list will be created in 2020 or 2021 um, with a, a current lens on um, the global economy. And that's likely to change over a period of time, as you suggest, Andy. Um, now, what are the mechanisms to adapt in the future? Probably you'll have um, a multilateral instrument too. And so that any changes will either have to flow through uh, a, another version of that or just be in the, in the course of normal renegotiation of treaties, um, new wordings will come into being. But um, it's an important element that uh, obviously business is not static and we can't see into 10 or 15 years time. Yeah, you can almost imagine a, a, almost a rolling process of updating the, the who's in and who's out concepts um, as we go, uh, if it's going to stay uh, in touch with uh, the developments in business. It's, it's going to be interesting to, to see how that realistically can unfold. And, and one of the other things that's in people's minds is, is the capacity for this, um, these proposals still to result in a, a lot of need for dispute resolution processes uh, that are going to be binding on governments um, and on companies. Um, Grant, you've often uh, used the phrase baseball arbitration as something that's uh, worthy of uh, considering in this regard. And uh, perhaps I could uh, pitch a, uh, a fastball at you and ask you to uh, expand on that. Sure. And we signed up to baseball arbitration in the MLI1, but it's, and it's referred to commonly as last best offer. But what it means is if you go to an arbitrator, the arbitrator doesn't form an independent opinion. He or she has to choose one of the two parties' positions. And what that does is it sort of undermines the AMBIT claim and drives those positions together. Um, so prior to uh, 
um, baseball arbitration coming into existence in the US baseball leagues, you'd have the managers at one end of a spectrum uh, uh, and the the, the players' managers, um, and then the, the club at the other end, and someone finds some middle ground. Well, it just drove more extreme behaviour in terms of that negotiating position. Um, and when the independent, so when the arbitrator had to choose one or the other, it drove those positions together. So that's what baseball arbitration is, and I think it's a very worthwhile um, form of resolving disputes. Um, in a bilateral environment, the question is how easy is it to resolve disputes in a multilateral environment? And I suspect it's it's adaptable to that. Yep. It certainly um, seems to have the prospect of getting getting the disputes resolved much more quickly if, uh, if all the arbitrators got to do is choose one rather than having to come up with their own third way. Yep. So, um, yeah, that that's a, would be a positive step, I think. Um, Pillar two, which is about the uh, the creation of a, a global minimum tax regime, on the whole seems less controversial and, and, and closer to uh, realisation based on what uh, the message is that we're hearing. Uh, whereas pillar one has still got evidently a, a fairly rocky road um, to to getting to being bedded down. Uh, in terms of the um, you know the finite resources that governments and the OECD have got to apply to these questions, do you, do you see any merit in just putting all the focus into pillar two for the time being, getting that nailed, and then coming back to pillar one to see if anyone's really still interested after we've got the the global minimum tax regime in place? Well, that's the stated US position, actually. That's They want to defer Pillar 1, focus on Pillar 2, and given the fact that it's almost certain that they would be allowed to use their guilty regime to satisfy Pillar 2, they wouldn't have to change um, laws at all in, in that space. Um, there are some countries and what, that are saying, hey, look, we're, it's a package. We're going to go for Pillar 1 um, uh, and Pillar 2 together. And their view is... Unless there's agreement in both domains, you won't get particularly the US to the table on pillar one. So uh, there are a group of countries that say, no, we're not going to just sign off on pillar two um, and leave pillar one um, infinitely deferred. Uh, and so I think you will probably see um, no resolution on pillar two without pillar one. Yep, I think that's um, I think that's highly likely to be the case. And um, in terms of the way forward, the uh, the OECD uh, and the Inclusive Framework are expected to present their latest recommendations to the um, the G20 finance ministers uh, in the coming month uh, during October, um, and that'll be um, really interesting to see what they've uh, what they've managed to progress so far and then get a sense of how long it's going to take uh, to um, implementation. Uh, but I think, Grant, you know, it's it's much more preferable that we have some form of commonality in the global rules rather than uh, multinationals being picked off piecemeal uh, by unilateral measures. I agree. And then the US election is going to make a bit of a difference in relation to this. So, as you say, the G20 finance ministers meet, I think, in the third week of October. The inclusive framework meets, I think, 6th to the 8th of October. And you probably have a public document released at that stage. But um, 
given the US is so critical here, the outcome of the election might make a big difference as to how speedily or not um, we progress in relation to both Pillar 1 and Pillar 2. Yeah, absolutely. Grant, thanks very much for joining me for this uh, podcast and thanks to uh, everyone for listening. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for listening to another episode of the KPMG Tax Now podcast. If you'd like to ask us a question, please send us an email at kpmgtaxnow at kpmg.com.au. Be sure to subscribe at kpmg.com forward slash au forward slash tax now or follow our LinkedIn page KPMG Tax Now Insights for regular updates. That's all for now. We look forward to sharing more insights with you soon.